The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. with a third down and seven. Moliaki right there, not caught a pass all day. And Stanzi in trouble. Wisconsin came with a corner blitz. Stanzi for Moliaki. he caught it! Touchdown, Iowa! The quarterback, Stanzi finally makes something happen. He buys some time. This is way too much time for the defensive backs to be covering these guys downfield. But Stanzi gets out of the pocket, finds him in the end zone. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyesmike.com. The Iowa-Wisconsin game highlights are courtesy of ESPN with Dave Posh, Bob Greasy, and Chris Spielman. A very nice job calling the game. We very much appreciate it and thank them. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season. You'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and Pat Hardy's opinions. You'll hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game. Kirk Ferentz and Mark D'Antonio will take a look at the Big Ten Conference, and we'll also preview the Iowa-Michigan State game. And during the course of the season, we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments each week by calling 866-74-HAWKS. Tolzien to throw on second down, and it's intercepted. Picked off by Spivay. He had four last year. That's his first in 2009. A.J. Eads, the linebacker, does a good job of matching up with the wide receiver Gilreath, forcing that ball wide because he was in the sights of Tolzien. So Tolzien has to throw it out to the right, and Spivay is sitting out there in perfect position on his guy, eyes on the quarterback, and breaking up to make the play. That's the first turnover of the day and the 20th takeaway for Iowa this year. It was a tale of two halves last Saturday. Iowa's football team could do almost nothing in the first half as the Wisconsin Badgers totally controlled both sides of the line of scrimmage, taking a 10-3 lead. But in the second half, it was all Hawks as they defeated Wisconsin 20-10 and retained possession of the Heartland Trophy. The defense completely dominated the Badgers from midway through the second quarter on. Wisconsin had 89 yards rushing in the first two periods, but by the end of the game, had only eight 87 total rushing yards, a stunning statistic against a team that had been leading the Big Ten in rushing. The Hawks also got three interceptions against the Badgers and now lead the nation in that category. Amari Spivay had two picks in this game, which means that every member of Iowa's secondary now has at least one interception on the season. On offense, Ricky Stanzi played probably his best game at Iowa as the Hawks scored 20 unanswered points. There were no pick sixes in this game and only one fumble. Stanzi and tight end Tony Moyaki connected for another touchdown pass. Adam Robinson had a 10-yard run for Iowa's other TD. Darrell Johnson-Culianos had a terrific game, catching eight passes for 113 yards, keeping crucial drives alive. Daniel Murray hit two field goals, including a 48-yarder, the longest of his career. Coming into this contest, the Badgers led the Big Ten in time of possession, but the Hawks ended up with a plus seven minutes in possession time after trailing by three and a half minutes after 
after the first half. Iowa is now 7-0 for the first time under Kirk Ferentz, and they have the nation's second-longest winning streak at 11. With Ohio State's loss at Purdue, the Hawks stand alone at the top of the Big Ten standings for the first time since 1990. They move into the top 10 in all three national polls, and they are ranked 6th in the first official BCS standings. All of this in spite of fending off the dreaded flu bug during the past week. Iowa travels to East Lansing this Saturday for another critical road game against a vastly improved Michigan State team, which has battled back from a 1-3 start and is now 3-1 in the Big Ten, and it considers itself in the hunt for the conference title. Another interesting note, Iowa trailed in each of its road games thus far, 3-0 at Iowa State, 10-0 at Penn State, and the same 10-0 at Wisconsin. After those scores, however, the Hawks held each of those teams scoreless for the rest of the games. In fact, on the road, the Hawks have yet to give up any points in the second half. Overall this season, Iowa has outscored its opponents in the second half by 101-41. Great story. Compelling and rich. HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. A quick review of game notes and key stats is brought to you by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with just a single application. To learn more, go to www.prefensbotanicals.com. Prefens is now the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa football team, the men's and women's basketball teams, and the defending NCAA champion Iowa Hawkeyes wrestling team. As we said earlier, this is Iowa's first 7-0 start under Kirk Ferentz. The 11-game winning streak is also a first under Ferentz and is the second longest in the nation, trailing only Florida. With this win last Saturday, Iowa leads the series against Wisconsin by a 42-41-2 margin that remains the closest series in the Big Ten Conference. The Hawks also maintain possession of the Heartland Trophy and now hold a 4-2 advantage in the series since the two teams begin playing for that trophy. Dating back to 2008, Iowa has won its last five road games and Iowa's allowed just 33 points in those five games. With the win at Wisconsin, the Hawks also are assured of a winning road record in 2009. Iowa won the toss in this game and elected to receive. That means that the Hawks have started on offense in 109 of their last 124 contests. Neither the Hawks nor the Badgers scored on their opening possessions. Iowa has allowed just one opponent, that was Penn State, to score on its opening drive in the last 20 games. There was just one change in the starting lineup for the Hawks. Wide receiver Darrell Johnson Koulianas started for the first time this year, and he led Iowa's receivers, tying a career high with eight catches for 113 yards. DJK now ranks 19th in career receiving at Iowa, with 101 catches for 1,435 yards. In the second half, the Badgers did not even reach the Iowa red zone. Iowa's defense has now collected four or more takeaways in three games this season, and Wisconsin fifth 
failed to score following Iowa's one turnover, a third-quarter fumble by Ricky Stanzi. They missed a 38-yard field goal. Ricky Stanzi completed 17 of 23 passes for 218 yards and one touchdown. Amari Spivay had two pass interceptions, his first and second of the season. Outside linebacker A.J. Eads added another interception in the fourth quarter, his second of the year. Some key stats, the Hawks had 16 first downs to Wisconsin's 14. Net yards rushing, 65 for Iowa, 87 for the Badgers. Net yards passing, 218 for the Hawks to 143 for Wisconsin. Total offense, 283 for Iowa, 230 yards for the Badgers. Total offensive plays, 62 for the Hawks and 58 for Wisconsin. Possession time, 33-46 for Iowa, 26-14 for the Badgers. The biggest change there was in the third and fourth quarter when Iowa completely dominated that stat. Third down conversions, 6 of 15 for Iowa, 3 of 12 for Wisconsin. Red zone scoring chances, 1 of 2 for Iowa and 2 of 2 for the Badgers. Eisner now in motion on second and short. Robinson finds a hole inside the five. Touchdown, Iowa. Hawkeyes have the lead. The establishment of the offensive line. Look at the big fellas cave all the red shirts inside. Vision and patience from the young freshman Adam Robinson. And the result, the lead for the Hawkeyes. But they cave that hole inside in, cut off the back part, backside pursuit. You get six points. Excellent effort by that offensive line. Turning now to the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game at East Lansing. First, Kirk Ferentz was asked how important Tony Moyaki is to Iowa's offense. Yeah, I mean, he's a marquee player, and um, you know, historically we haven't had a lot of those, um, but we have, I guess. Uh, but, you know, when we have him, it sure helps. You know, and it's it's not the end-all or be-all, but, uh, you know, when you have a guy like that that can contribute in a special way, it's it's a real advantage. Sean Green did that a year ago for us. You know, Gallery did it in his own way, Kading. Uh, Brad Banks, you know, go right down the list. So, uh, you know, we, we've been lucky. We've had Dallas Clark. We've had five guys that have nationally acclaimed for, for doing what they did. And uh, I don't know if Tony will be recognized in that way. It really doesn't matter. But, you know, he... he as a player, he can do that for you. So, um, you know, when you when you have a good team and then you add a couple guys like that, that really can give you some extra octane out there. And, um, you know, I think last two weeks we've certainly seen how he can impact the game. And then, as I've said before, too, there are a lot of things that maybe aren't as visible uh, that, you know, you're not going to notice that he's where he's helping us out, either through blocking or the attention he draws. It might help open up some other receivers, and that's, you know, those are all positives. That's, you know, when you have a guy that's a, a good player who plays well, you know, it's one thing to be a good player, but he plays well consistently. Yeah, it really helps you. Kirk talks about playing Iowa's third game in a row against such tough league opponents. I mean, we, we talked about this month at the beginning of the month, saying we had a two-game homestand and uh, you know, in the spirit of the World Series, two-game homestand or the playoffs and all that stuff. We had two games at home and then a two-game road trip, and you know, we're wrapping up the second game of the road trip right now. So yeah, that's kind of how we looked at it at the start of the month. Um, you know, so we, we all kind of knew what the package was. And and now you know it's our job to finish up these last five days of this this portion of the schedule. And then we'll we'll deal with the last part once we get there. But you know, it, it in some ways going on the road can be maybe uh, less challenging in that uh, you know it was just crazy around here the the Friday of the Michigan ball game with homecoming and we had so many people in town. Uh, I think until we got on the bus to go up to the hotel that night, it was probably the first time you know we all had uh, just a chance to you know 
purely think about what was in front of us, and fortunately we had an entire day the next day to, to, to think about it. So, you know, this, this is kind of a, a quieter week, if you will. You know, you don't have a lot of visitors. You don't have a lot of distractions, and, you know, hopefully we can have a good week of preparation, and then we certainly have that extra time uh, on the course of the weekend to, to get ready mentally for the game. Ference was asked if last Saturday's game against the Badgers was quarterback Ricky Stanzi's best game as a Hawk. You know, a couple of plays he'd like to do over again, and that that's going to be true at every, I think, every football game. You know, you're going to come out and say, boy, I wish I had these two to call back, but uh, like all of us do. I mean, everybody has those, and, uh, but I thought he really did a nice job, you know, protecting the football, made some beautiful throws, and he's, he's been making some beautiful passes, so but most importantly, he you know he kind of keeps us keeps us together out there. Ference was asked about the play of his starting middle linebacker Pat Angerer. To me, middle linebackers are like quarterbacks, you know, except they don't get scrutinized nearly as closely as quarterbacks. But um, yeah, you know, they they kind of serve as your catalyst, you know, when you're when you're playing well typically. And uh, the way we're built, that's certainly true. Our linebackers historically have had to make a lot of plays for us, and yeah, Pat does that, and he does it with spirit, and you know he's got a personality that's. Um, you know, I think what you're looking for on defense, you know, he makes it makes it fun for everybody and, you know, keeps guys uh, on their toes, but he keeps it light, too. And, you know, but he's he's 100 percent invested and that's uh, just how he plays. And I think that just, you know, permeates to everybody else. Ference talks about the Michigan State Spartans. You know, it's a little bit like last week. We're, we're playing a very physical team. You know, they probably throw the ball more effectively than, than Wisconsin did. You could argue Wisconsin ran the ball more effectively, but they're very similar. You know, big uh, physical team uh, on both sides of the football and uh, very good in the kicking game. So, you know, they've they've really been moving the ball well, scoring points. And, uh, you know, they've, they've really played uh, good defense since Mark got up there. He does a, does a real nice job with that group. And um, I, I think they're very comfortable with who they are, what they are. Uh, and that you could say that about Wisconsin too. They've they've got a, a system they believe in, and uh, you know their players have bought in and have really done a nice job. And Kirk talks about his team's gaining confidence in winning road games. You know, it's like anything else: winning close games or winning on the road or winning close games on the road. Those are all positives, and uh, we try to accentuate the positive anytime, anytime we get a chance. It was a little tougher in '99, but at least we have some things right now we can throw out and. Um, I'm not saying it'll be any easier this week, but it won't be any tougher than you know the last couple of road games we've had. That's for sure. So, uh, you know, we've walked on that road, and we'll see how we how we do this time. Michigan State head coach Mark D'Antonio was asked what he thinks the main factor is in the Hawks being undefeated. Well, you know, they're pretty resilient. I guess that's the term that I heard the other day, and I would agree with that. You know, they've. They've been able to win close games. When you do that, you know, usually you start to develop a little bit of a confidence in that in that way. So um, they played well away from home, and I think that's been a plus. They played at Penn State and at Wisconsin, you know. You know they got the win um, at home against Michigan. So what they've done is they've played close football games and won. They've won with uh, defense, they've won on special teams, and they've won on offense. So they've done it three different ways, which uh, is an indication of a great football team and a very well-coached football team. D'Antonio was asked why this appears to be a down year for Big Ten quarterbacks, at least statistically. Well, I think there's very good coaching in the Big Ten Conference. There's a lot of great defenses that are that are playing you know, week in and week out makes it difficult to run the football and consequently you get large you know long yardage situations I also think that uh, you know there are some younger quarterbacks in this conference and especially when I look at our our situation our guys are sophomores 
You know, I look at Michigan's situation, two freshmen. You know, I don't look too far down the road. There are a couple seniors playing, but, you know, you, you look at the situation, it's all it's a little different everywhere. So you got to ask yourself, what are people doing defensively? You know, what kind of receivers do people have? What are the situations in the game? So it's hard for me to be qualified, I guess, to make those comments on, on things like that. You know, I really don't, I've not thought of it in that way. D'Antonio was asked whether his team preparations this week will focus on playing up to the highly ranked Hawkeyes. We really haven't talked about that too much because, you know, we've we've sort of scratched back to from one and three now to four and three. So this is the next challenge for us on the schedule. Um, it's a great opportunity for us. Uh, you know, it's a football team that we've played the last two years and we've had very close games with those teams both years. Uh, so what we've tried to do is talk about the, the excitement, uh, a little bit about the focus we have. And, you know, what we talk about this next week will be um, will be important, but the focus will be on how we approach the game in terms of executing. And, uh, you know, we want to have fun, we want to be excited, and it should be a great atmosphere. D'Antonio talks about what he's seen on tape that explains Iowa leading the nation in pass interceptions. I think their secondary is very, very well coached. Um, what they do, uh, you see them do over and over again. You know, so there's consistency in what they play. You know, their safeties are, are excellent. You know, their corners are excellent. They'll get up and press you. They'll get up and do different things. They're very sound, and uh, they have a great attention to detail. They're good tacklers. Uh, so, you know, if you get good pass rushers up there and their linebackers play, play you know, match the patterns very, very well, well as well. So I think their entire defense is very well coached. What you see is what you get. You know, they're not going to do an overabundance of things and try and confuse you. You have to beat them. And usually when you have to beat somebody, it means you have to go through them, and um, they're making the plays. D'Antonio talks about the strength of the Spartans' kicking game. Both those guys, uh, uh, Bates and Swenson, give us a, an identity on special teams that um, where, uh, you know, we should be able to play, be superior in that area every game. Gives us a chance. You know, we have great execution from Bates on punts. He's put punts inside the 10 many times throughout his career. Uh, he's got great leadership. He's very calm under pressure. He's the holder as well on, on extra points field goals. And so he has a dual role there, and he impacts the team in that way. And then uh, uh, Swenson, you know, he's one one field goal away from all-time field goal kicker here and seven points away from being the all-time scorer. So that in itself talks to you about uh, his confidence, his composure, and his ability to, to get it done under pressure. So both those guys are extremely gifted players. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons that we're, we're battling back, certainly one of the reasons we won nine games last year and one of the reasons we're battling back this year. And D'Antonio was asked how he gets his team ready to play a team that is as physical as the Hawks are. Well, I don't think you can hit your players all week long, you know, because we've got to have something left in our tank. But, uh, you know, Iowa does a great job in terms of uh, what they do offensively. Every single team in the Big Ten Conference, conceptually, they're well designed. They give you problems by design, uh, whether it's pass or whether it's run. Things complement each other. Those are the things you have to be ready for. You know, one of the things that you have to be able to do whenever you're playing a, f- a football team is you can't make mental mistakes and adjustments and you can't make you have to be sound in what you're trying to do so you know we played against a spread team last week you know Iowa is, is more of a, a downhill running team in that respect so we've got to change gears and get ourselves ready to play in that in that, uh, that venue Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts.
We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly stint on HawkeyesMike.com. Sean Patchett visits with Marv. Another big win for the Hawks in a manner fairly typical for this team this season and now high rankings including the BCS. Talk about the Wisconsin game and how special this season has been so far. You know, it has been a kind of a magical season. I mean, it's been a season of, uh, you know, close games, uh, spotting teams, a lot of points, seven to ten points, and ten points in this situation with Wisconsin. But, you know, they're good enough to overcome it. They're good enough to then reestablish what they want to do and run the football and, and throw the football effectively and to make enough plays to, to win the game. So it's been a it's been a great season, a fun season. The exciting thing, in, in my opinion, is, is I still think they have a lot of room for improvement offensively. It's pretty impressive for Iowa to be 3-0 and in the Big Ten, having played at Penn State, home against Michigan, and at Wisconsin. It's pretty crazy stuff. It is, you know, and, and to believe that this is the first time we've been 7-0 since 1985, 20-plus years, is amazing to me. I mean, it's uh, especially with our preseason schedule. So, you know, it's a testament to the Big Ten, how tough the Big Ten has been uh, to, for us not to be able to be 4-0 at this point. But, you know, like anything else, I just think the lessons that we learned in the second half of last season are paying off huge so far early this season. and and hopefully they'll continue to grow on those things and, and to continue to get better as the season progresses. From your view, what's going on when there's such a slow start? Total dominance by Wisconsin pretty much throughout the first half and then a complete reversal in the second. I, I think our offensive coaches are doing a good job of, of figuring out what defenses are doing to them and then making some adjustments. I mean, I thought the Michigan game was a perfect example of that. They had a couple calls where, you know, they get Moyaki in his own blitz and he's open wide open, you know. And, and I think the offensive coaches are, are making some good decisions uh, through the course of the second, third series and, and coming up with some good play calling. And then, you know, the offensive lines, you know, fitting their pads a little bit and getting their feet underneath them and, and getting some traction running the football. And, and if we can run the ball effectively, that just makes it throwing that much easier for Stanzi. There's always a lot of talk about halftime adjustments. Exactly what's going on in the locker room when this occurs? Are they digging deeper into the playbooks? Or? I'd say controlled chaos at halftime. You know, one thing you're doing is you're rechecking your tape and putting new shirts on and things like that. But then ultimately it's, it's coaches, you know, really looking at the pitchers, evaluating what's going on, how they're attacking us, and then making our adjustments off of those things. And and then trying to make sure that they're they're doing the things that they wanted to do through the se- the course of the of the week, and you know that may means we got to get the ball to DJK or we got to get the ball to certain people uh, and get them involved and and, and you know kind of looking at what they've been doing and what they've had success with and then getting back to it. But that's I mean that's what coaching is. It's, it's it is about okay they're running this front uh, with this blitz. Here's what we need to do to attack that and and uh, making those types of adjustments. There are a lot of cliches thrown around in sports, tough, resilient, determined, but what particular attributes do you associate with this team and can you explain what you mean by them? You know, I'd, I'd say workmanlike, blue collar or workmanlike. I mean, I think it's a group of guys that, that play extremely well together, that make plays when they have to make, but you know, let's be honest, there's, there hasn't been a lot of, you know, really, really flashy type plays, you know, I mean, uh, there's been a few. Moyaki's made some great, you know, touchdowns and, and Claiborne's block punt and stuff. And so I say that, but I say that hasn't been flashy plays, but it's just been a pretty journeyman-like, workman-like effort, you know. And and um, you know, you don't see the 90-yard runs for touchdowns, the you know, the 80-yard pass for touchdowns that you see with some other programs and stuff. So I mean, I, it's it's been a, it's been a, a fun year, a great year. A thing that I look at. And when I evaluate it, is in the, in the seven games we've seen so far, I've really never, never felt like I was in trouble. I mean, you and I maybe a couple times during courses of that game where I felt like, okay, this could be, you know, we could lose this game. 
in any, every other game, I really never felt like that. Even with Penn State, when they scored the first possession, first play, I, just, I was like, okay, that's no big deal. You know, I mean, Arkansas State, same way. So, I mean, it's, I, I feel like they've been in control of every game. My only concern is that when you play every game close and you play in the Big Ten, eventually there's going to be a team that has enough players that they can make two or three plays down the stretch that's going to beat you. And I'd like to see us get to playing like we did against Indiana a year or two ago. We put up 45 points last year at Minnesota. We hung a huge number up on the Gophers. I'd like to see this offense start getting to that and put these games away. And not have to worry about, you know, the fourth quarter relying on knocking a Hail Mary down to, to save the game. Fans often give credit to Kirk Ferentz, and he deserves much of it. But in your experience, isn't there also something inherent in the players themselves, their own makeup, that has a lot to do with this kind of success? 100%. Pat Anger, if you, if you knew Pat Anger from high school football, you know he's a winner. You know, you got to get winners on your campus. And if you get winners like that on your campus, they will make everybody around them a better football player. And it does come down to Kirk Ferentz recruiting the right guys, the right makeup that fit his makeup, that fit his philosophy. And that's what they got. I mean, they got a bunch of guys that get after it. A.J. Eads, a quiet guy, just does his job out there. You know, Ben and, uh, I mean, the offensive line is just, you know, even Ricky Stanzi's not a flashy guy, just goes about his business, takes the criticism with, with great strides and just keeps winning, you know. So I think a lot of it is they feed off of Coach Ferentz's, of his mentality and the way he brings, you know, just his presence at practice. But ultimately, it's the guys. I mean, ultimately, it's the players. And if, you know, if you, 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 you access these guys, you interview them, they're just, you know, they look like hardworking, good guys, you know, for the most part. And, and I think that's the key. Ricky Stanzi played probably his best game as a Hawk. You've been saying for weeks he is a special quarterback, and it looks like everything is finally coming together for him. I agree, and he, he continues to make throws that are just incredible. I mean, the throw to Moyak in the corner of the end zone on the move, you know, for the touchdown was just a great on-the-run on the throw. And, you know, he's throwing, he's throwing the ball in a spot where only his guys can catch it, and that's just, I mean, that's a great thing, and then the guys are catching it. So I, I think he's just, like I said, I think he's got a ton of upside. You know, the future's bright for Ricky a great game for both Tony Maki and DJK. Together they accounted for 168 yards of Iowa's 283 yards of offense on Saturday. Yeah, and you know, they are great weapons and then, you know, the great thing is he can throw down to the backs, he can spread the ball all over the place. And, um, you know, but those guys are going to got to make the plays. Third and ten, you know, those are the guys he's going to be looking for. And the great thing for Iowa, though, is he does have five or six, seven, eight guys that he can get the ball to at any given time, and that's hard to defend. The running game was not at its best against Wisconsin. Too many runs for a loss. But in spite of that, Robinson in particular still turned in a solid performance. Was that mostly a product of the offensive line failing to execute, or what do you think is going on? There? Well, I think part of it was Wisconsin's defense uh, creates a lot of havoc, creates a lot of pressure. And I, and I, I just felt like towards the, the second half, late in the second half, we started to get some traction. I mean, we started to really lean on them a little bit and create some running lanes and some cutbacks and stuff. And and when it counted, I really felt like that was part of the deal. And that's you know, that's a cumulative effect. When you got 310-pound guys pounding on you all day long, it's, a, you know, first 15, 20 runs, you know, or one and two yarders or minus one. And the next thing you know, you start getting four and five, five and six, and then they'll start leading to 12 and 15 yarders. And, and, I, and I thought we saw a lot of that as the game progressed through, uh, through last Saturday. It looks like the defensive staff has referred to very little substitution on the D-line. Are these guys getting a little worn down, or could they explain some of the fall off of the last couple of games? Level of talent, I, mean, I think, is part of it. You know, we're playing better teams, and uh, you know, just they're seeing better packages up front, better schemes up front, and and uh, just better players. So, I mean, I think that, that has a lot to do with it. I mean, Wisconsin's a physical, physical football team. 
Penn State's not a physical football team. Penn State's a finesse team. They'll line up and they'll, you know, they're at more athletic up front, but they're not as physical as Wisconsin is. So I mean, I think it's, that's what we're seeing. It's still hard to argue with the results. From midway through the second quarter, Iowa just totally shut down Wisconsin. Yeah, you know, Wisconsin's got a great back combo with a, with a big back and a small back. And, you know, it's, it's a good change of pace that they can bring to the table. But, but I thought, yeah, defensively, they just locked it down a little bit, made it tough to throw. You know, the quarterback didn't know where to go. When he did throw it, it was usually highly contested. It was, you know, pretty tight coverage. So defense continues to make plays when they, when they need to make plays. It's an odd statistic, but the Badgers had 89 yards rushing in the first half, yet finished the game with only 87 rushing yards. You don't see something like that very often. Yeah, and I'm just trying to think, the last time I think what game at Iowa was home, they had three or minus three yards rushing in the first half. It might have been Wisconsin, Michigan or something. You know, I mean, it does happen where you completely dominate a half and you shut it down. And Wisconsin was kind of, once Iowa got up 10 points, Wisconsin was kind of almost forced to start throwing the ball a little bit and had to get away from the running game. But this is a group of guys that get after it up front. The front four are tough, and then our linebackers, you know, just do a great job of, you know, the, the front four block up, tie up the linemen and the fullback, and now those linebackers are free to roam and, and get to the ball, and that's what they do. Let's take a little time this week to talk about the importance of tight ends in Iowa's offensive scheme. It's true for Wisconsin, too. The great tight end tradition in the program dating back to Hayden Fry's years and carried forward by Kirk Ferentz. It's always an emphasis, and Iowa seems to play better when it has good tight ends. Can you talk about the underlying philosophy with this approach? Well, you know, one, the tight end can be an extension of the running game. It can be an extension of an offensive lineman. If you got a guy that can block and hold up in the running game, it's just a... It's, it's a great weapon, but then if you also got the guy that can do that and then go out and run routes, what it does is it creates a, a mismatch. If a defense wants to keep linebackers, defensive ends on the field in a front seven, then now the tight end can run routes against a linebacker, and that's an advantage to a tight end that can run like Moyaki. If they want to put a DB in a safety or an extra nickel back in, now we got a big advantage from a run blocking standpoint. So. A defense can't be right in that situation if you have a guy that can do both things like Milwaukee and, and Reisner is actually good at too. Uh, he's an undersized guy, but he actually can block pretty well and, and pretty effectively. So it creates a lot of mismatches. And then, you know, I mean, they're just, a lot of times they're easy throws. You know, they're just six, ten yard little, you know, third and five, and there's the tight end sitting there in the check down or a little stick route or a little hook route. And they're easy, just bang catches. and. And, you know, our guys are capable of making those plays. And what they do is they just keep the defense on the field. You know, you end up getting five or six first downs in a drive. The defense starts getting wore out. You're moving the ball, changing field position. And, you know, if you got an effective tight end or two or three tight ends, then you got a pretty good offense. Why do you think more teams emphasize this? You know, a lot of it is teams want to go to the spread now. They want to get really good athletes in there, and they want to go four and three and five wide. And, and you know, that's more conducive to a receiver. Uh, you know, and they, they're not as necessarily worried about as running the ball as physically as Iowa wants to run it. And it's just a philosophy, philosophical change. I mean, most teams are, you know, a lot of teams are going to the spread, and that's more conducive to receivers than it is tight ends. The one thing Ferentz has so differently is that his tight ends are generally on or near the line in the three-point stance, while Fry's were always standing up. Mm -hmm. What's the difference as a player and in philosophy with those two approaches? Uh, the stand-up tight end, you were able to see the defense. We threw a lot. We ran a lot of check with me's. Uh, and I'd say our check, check with me's are pass-oriented check with me's. Uh, and so it helped us read the secondary, helped us read blitzes. A lot of times the tight ends were in charge of a safety blitz or a corner blitz. So it helped us see those things. Uh, with Iowa, I mean, their checks, are, I think, for the most part, are run checks. You know, they probably have a run-pass-check combination, but 
it's not necessarily the, the tight end needs to see the secondary, the coverage, or the blitzer coming out. He, the quarterback's going to be making those checks. It's tough to run block from a stand-up position. I mean, you can position block, but you, it's hard to run block. And, and being down on a three-point obviously is an, a more effective way and an easier way to run block. So. You know, I actually see some teams using it. Cincinnati, the number five team in the country, is using a stand-up tight end periodically. Kansas State has a little bit. So it's still around. It's just not as popular as it was back when Hayden Fry was running it. Well, it sounds like a broken record, but it just continues to get tougher. Another road game in a hostile environment against the Big Ten team that is probably the hottest right now other than the Hawks. Well, and someone told me if they beat us, they will be tied for the Big Ten race, I think, is what I heard. So... Uh, it is. It's a tough place. It's a great venue to play in. At the end of the day, it still comes down to who's better and who's got the personnel. And, and it, to be honest, with you, I just think Iowa's got all the pieces in place right now. And I just think that they're a little bit stronger in, in certain key positions. And, and um, you know, Michigan State's still searching for themselves a little bit with their new coach and, and still getting the traction underneath them a little bit. So, you know, I, I see the Iowa going up there and being a workmanlike effort and, and you know, winning by you know 10 to 27 10 to 17 points and and being in control of the game for the most part Michigan State's going to do a couple good things that'll probably happen but I just see Iowa continuing to control the game a lot like they did at Wisconsin. Interestingly enough it's also the third game in a row where Iowa's facing a conference opponent with one loss where a loss of the Hawks probably takes them out of the conference title picture their backs against the wall in that respect how much does that factor into things? I think a lot I mean I think it's one, it probably focuses them on a great work week where they'll prepare extremely well and be very, very focused. You know, two, it is a home game for them, but, you know, three, the weather sounds like it might be sloppy. I mean, there's a lot of things going on, and, and the best thing you can do at these points is just realize you just got to play them one at a time. It's a, they talk about cliches. That's a true cliche, and then you just kind of add them up at the end, and, and that's kind of the focus you have to have in the Big Ten because anybody can beat anybody at any, any given Saturday. So you just got to really through the week and then play them one snap at a time and, and kind of add it up at the end of the game and you know Michigan State's had some tendencies in the past you know five or six seven years just kind of self-implode at times uh, I think the new coach is coming in and trying to change that philosophy and that mentality and bringing more discipline to the program but I still don't see it as being fully integrated yet so I'm, I'm thinking the Hawks got a big advantage. You know, for Iowa is that the Swarms play schemes on both sides of the ball much like Wisconsin and the Hawks themselves how does that affect preparation for both teams? Well, I think I think Michigan State can throw the ball a little bit more effectively than Wisconsin can, and but they are physical. They will get after it. They do have athletes. I mean, they recruit out of Detroit and Michigan, and and they do have uh, very very f good football players. So it's just a matter of Iowa, you know, continue to play team defense and and execute on offense. And you know, there is going to be a little bit of that. You got to just line up and be tougher and be more physical. And you know and expect to win and I think Iowa's got that swagger a little bit right now where we're you know even if they fall down seven ten points you know they've been there done that and I think they'll have the poise and the, and the confidence necessary to come back and, and rally but I, I don't see that happening I think Iowa's going to control this game for the most part throughout and and uh, you know I'd like to I'd, I, the thing I'd like to see is them really start getting that wow factor a little bit I mean that's one of the things I hate is the BCS because it's you know so much of its style points, and what could hurt the Hawks is they go through this Big Ten season and win every game, but they win by four, they win by three, they win by two, they win by five, and there's really no wow factor, and so they end up three or four in the BCS and they don't play in the championship game. You know where if they, you know beat Michigan State 55 to two or 55 to seven, 
people are going to start saying this is a good football team, you know, and then the next thing you know, you start seeing them climb up in the BCS standings and, and they have a chance. That's what I would, I'd like to see is them start having those types of games. The Big Ten Notebook this week. The conference now has nine teams with winning records, which leads all FBS conferences through seven weeks of play. Again, the Hawkeyes are the Big Ten's only unbeaten team. Two more unbeatens lost last weekend, which leaves only seven FBS schools yet to suffer a loss. The Hawks and Alabama are both 7-0, and and five teams are 6-0. and The Big Ten and SEC tied for the lead among conferences in the first set of BCS rankings released last Sunday. Penn State joined Iowa. Iowa as bowl eligible with its win over Minnesota, while seven other Big Ten teams are now less than two wins away from bowl eligibility. The conference also has a new tiebreaker this season. Head-to-head matchups remains the first tiebreaker. The second is new, however, and that is overall record. The third tiebreaker, if necessary, is the highest-ranked team in the final BCS standings. There's only one trophy game on tap this weekend. That's Illinois and Purdue battling for the cannon. Key games this Saturday in the conference in addition to Iowa at Michigan State, include Penn State at Michigan and Minnesota at Ohio State. And looking ahead to the Iowa-Michigan State contest, reviewing Big Ten stats through last week's games, the Spartans are third in scoring offense while Iowa is eighth. Iowa's third in scoring defense with Michigan State fourth. Total offense, Michigan State is third while Iowa is ninth. And total defense, Iowa is third while the Spartans are fifth. Michigan State is tied for first in getting sacks and also lead the league and giving up the fewest quarterback sacks. And Iowa leads the conference in turnover margin. Michigan State comes in ninth in that category. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the middle of the film. As that pass is underthrown, intercepted. A.J. Eats again, a linebacker covering a wide receiver, and it's the linebacker that has his second interception on the year. During the zone, a two-deep look, and all A.J. Eads is going to do is run with the wide receiver. When he makes his cut, he does a nice little speed turn. Most linebackers wouldn't do this, but Eads is trained so well. He sees more the wide receiver running the inside route. He's going to run the route with him. That's why you can have a linebacker out there with those wide receivers when you run that well. Hawkeyes Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. We turn now to Pat Hardy's segment. You can read Pat's articles in the Iowa City Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. Sean Patchett talks with Pat about last week's game and this Saturday's contest. Well, another big win in a big rivalry game on the road. The Hawks seem to do whatever they have to do to win games this season. That's exactly how I describe them in the, my um, column that I wrote for today's paper. I mean, because some people have been trying to label this Iowa team as a second-half team or a team that plays up to the level of its competition, but I don't really think either one of those are entirely true. I think they just do whatever they have to do to win in that moment. They just start, They can adapt to a lot of different situations. They can overcome adversity. They're very resilient. And right now, I mean, the way things are shaping up, Ohio State's very vulnerable on offense. This has a chance to be a really spectacular season, but maybe the toughest challenge could be Saturday. 
Definitely a tale of two halves in this one. Talk about that and how you try to explain it. What were you thinking at halftime and what was the consensus in well, the press box? I think at halftime I was thinking, wow, they're in trouble, but I wasn't going to completely bury them because I've done that before and they've come back. But I also said, wow, they're very fortunate to be only down 10 to 3 as badly as they played. And I think a big turning point in the game was two things when. John Clay got hurt. He was never the same after getting bent around. And when Garrett Graham, I mean, he played the rest of the half, but he didn't come back in the second half. Not having him was a big thing, too, for Wisconsin. I hardly even noticed that because their offense was in so so little in the second half because Iowa was so dominant on defense. But I think those were two turning points. And then when you saw Iowa be able to run the ball, that's when that things kind of started opening up the play action. That's when I thought they were okay about midway through the third quarter and it was going to be anybody's ball game. You wrote this week that Iowa, this Iowa team defies labels. Can you talk about that? Well, I just, they, there are too many different things to just sum them up with one label, like a, a team that plays up to the level of its competition. That's not true because if that was true, they would have struggled against Iowa State. Instead, they, des- they destroyed Iowa State. They led from the beginning and boom, just beat them. Same thing with Arizona. I think they played very well against Arizona. And they're not a second-half team because Michigan outscored them in the second half. Arkansas State outscored them in the second half. They're just a team that's very resilient, that finds ways to win. I don't think you can really put them in one category. Right now, the only one category you could put them in is they're, it's a winning team. They're, just, they're undefeated, but there's just too many different things they've done to be placed in one category. You talked a second ago about how this could be a spectacular season. And after Saturday's game, Kirk compared Iowa to a used car. Not pretty, but dependable. In this season, with this Big Ten, might that be enough to win the title? Oh, yeah, because I'd say there's not one team in the Big Ten that doesn't have some type of issues. Iowa may have the least amount of issues. I mean, I look at Ohio State, they have the best defense, I think, in the Big Ten. But Terrell Pryor, who ironically is kind of their poster child player, their marquee player, their big recruit, to me, he's their weakness on offense. He's a liability for them right now on offense. They just are, their offense is very mediocre. Michigan State's obviously had some issues. They're getting better, but every team has a weakness. And right now, Iowa still has the schedule it has to grapple with. But if it can get through this game with Michigan State, the schedule is almost over. Then the schedule looks pretty favorable when you have Northwestern, Indiana, and Minnesota at home. Those are three very winnable games, games that Iowa will be favored to win. So yeah, no, I think it's just things look good right now because the Big Ten is a little bit down and Iowa's got this team that's very tight, good chemistry, and things are kind of, all the pieces are falling together. Now they just got to win out and take it one game at a time, but there's a chance for this to be a real special season. How much of Kirk talking about this used car scenario, how much of that is his usual effort at playing down his team versus the fact that this might be one of the better teams in the nation. I think that's a lot of Kirk, just kind of the image he likes to portray. All shucks, we're, we're just trying to do the best we can with what we have. And some of that's true, but like I wrote this morning, I, mean, I always got this reputation and interference of being lightly recruited players that they get and turn them into these overachieving college stars. And there is a lot of truth to that even on this team. But if you look at guys like Jeremiah Hunter, Christian Ballard, Adrian Claiborne, Dace Richardson, Tony Moyaki, Trey Strauss, those guys were all huge recruits coming out of high school. Tons of different choices they could have made for their calls. They picked Iowa, so I think it's a blend. I think this team's got a really good senior class, and a lot of these seniors were big. Rafael Eubanks is another one. Everyone keeps saying that they need to replace him. Now you're not hearing that anymore. People are pretty comfortable with Eubanks at center now. He was another big recruit. So I think Kirk does that a little bit to kind of play that image and kind of keep the pressure off his team, but I think he knows deep down he's got some really good players. Whatever else can be said, it's tough to argue with the results. You'd be hard-pressed to think of too many Big Ten teams that'd be 3-0 after playing Penn State. 
Michigan and Wisconsin, let alone two of those on the road. No, that's why I say you just got to just hang on, enjoy the ride, take it one game at a time, and really fans should do it that way. That's what works for Ferentz is to just get all that they're thinking about now is this game at Michigan State. And it's going to be a tough game because Michigan State's playing very well. But there's really nothing you can really complain about this season. I mean, I know they haven't always looked dominant, but that Northern Iowa game seems like a long time ago. The struggle against Arkansas State to me was just kind of a fluke, maybe a letdown after Penn State. But like I said before, this team has just found a way to win under all these different circumstances. And right now, there's no reason but to be optimistic. Probably Ricky Sanzi's best game as a Hawk. Pinpoint passing, great leadership, and even his fumble can be explained by having three Badgers break to the offensive line. Can you talk about him a little bit? Yeah, I thought it was clearly his best game. No interceptions, which to me is key. Only threw six incompletions among his 26 passes, and he had to, or 23 passes, excuse me. And he had to deal with O'Brien Schofield the whole game, and he is just a load. He reminds me of Leroy Smith back in 91. But they figured out ways to neutralize Schofield a little bit in the second half when Ricky's pretty comfortable in the pocket there, and he threw a nice ball to Moyaki on that touchdown pass. And he's pretty much a guarantee now for somewhere between two and 300 yards passing. He, if he can eliminate the interceptions and keep doing this the rest of the year, if they don't lose, I know a lot of people think Daryl Clark, but to me right now, Stanzi's playing as good or better than any quarterback in the Big Ten. Would you say this could be Stanzi's breakthrough game? I, I, yeah, to a certain extent. Let's see what he does. Let's see if he comes back and has another good game and they win or don't even necessarily win, but it's not because of his play. Then I think, but if he comes back and struggles and throws a few interceptions and they lose Saturday, I don't think people are going to look at that Wisconsin game as a breakthrough game. I think he needs to have a couple breakthrough games to where then people are like, wow, this is what we can come to expect from him now. I think he needs to do it again up at Michigan State. I'm not saying he needs to be incredible, but I think he needs to avoid throwing interceptions, get somewhere around 200 yards passing and just not be the reason that they're in any tough situations. How concerned are you about the play of the offensive line the last two weeks? Even with Balaga back, they don't seem to be clicking as well as many thought they would by no. this point in the season. Kirk even said they regressed in the, I believe it was the Arkansas State game. They've been kind of, it's like they've, it's like they've hit a plateau and I still think there's time for them to shake, shake, it out, shake out of this because the offensive line really got better as last season went on too. And we'll see. I think Saturday will be a good test to kind of see where this offensive line is right now because Michigan State's got a real good defense, real good linebackers, good defensive linemen. So it'll be a good test. And I, I think in the second half, you saw the offensive line starting to come together again against Wisconsin. I mean, um, Robinson rushed for 71 yards. He did a lot on his own, but there was also some good holes. They just didn't have a surge early on. And I think right now they're trying to still figure out the guards situation it looks like it's mostly going to be Dace and then with Reef and Vanderbilt kind of rotating kind of a three-person rotation but it seems like Dace plays a little bit more so I'm still I mean they're doing okay I mean I it's not a worry yet but I think they I think for this season to be what you want it to be the offensive line needs to pick it up a little bit. Johnson Coolios and Tony Maki both very good on Saturday keeping those two in particular good health the rest of the season seems to be critical the whole offense just seems to function better when they're on the field. That's exactly what I wrote from the game Saturday. My game column was the fact that for Iowa's offense to be at its peak level, they have to have those two guys in there because Darrell is the best at getting separation from his defender and stretching the defense, whereas Tony's just one of the best tight ends in the country. When he's healthy, he's a great blocker. He blocks like a lineman, but then he's very agile for a big guy. That catch he made for the touchdown Saturday, you really saw receiver speed, great hands. So yeah, they, they're two of their best players, two of their best athletes, and just, yeah, they need them to be healthy, and right now they are healthy. That's another reason why you see the pieces falling together. What adjustments did you see in the defense that resulted in Wisconsin going from moving the ball at will through the first quarter 
and a half, and then Iowa having total dominance from that point. I on. didn't really see anything major. They called them minor adjustments. I didn't really see linebackers doing much different. They just were clogging the holes, and they just seemed like they caught fire. And I'm telling you, I still think when John Clay got hurt, not taking anything away from the Iowa defense, but when John Clay got hurt, I think that really kind of um, slowed things down for Wisconsin. But yeah, I didn't see any major adjustments. I just saw more aggressiveness. I saw, they did a great job of blanketing the Wisconsin receivers. John Clay, I think, was a little banged up after that. Losing Garrett Graham really hurt Wisconsin. And Tolzien was just off target. He just had a bad day. Are you concerned at all at this point in the season that Norm Parker and the defensive staff have kind of reverted to little or no substitution, especially on the defensive line? Well, I did see a little bit more of Mike Daniel Saturday. I noticed LeBron Daniel was actually in there on a few plays too. So, yeah, I was concerned about it because it made me wonder if there's a real gap between one and two, which is not what you need, especially on the defensive line. So, um, but I'll, let's see. I think we're going to maybe see a little bit more because, like I said, I saw Mike Daniels in there at a couple of key times. Um, so I just kind of want to wait and see as the season progresses to see if they don't go to those guys, then you, I think that's telling you obviously there's a drop-off. Talk about the fact that Iowa now leads the nation in interception and is second overall in takeaways. What's happening that is making this team so effective, especially when it comes to interceptions? They're sound fundamentally. Tyler Sash has a nose for the football. Spavay is one of the top cornerbacks in the country, and you, saw, you finally saw that come together. And I just think that they're very good at stay, sticking to their assignments, and they don't let teams get behind them. You notice they, don't, they rarely give up the big play. And just I think right now they got some good players with good ball skills, too. I mean, Tyler says a lot of safeties maybe wouldn't have caught all those things. They've just got guys that know how to catch the ball and what have you, but they're sound fundamentally, and the coaches put them in the right places. Michigan State has bounced back from a poor start. Uh, they're riding a three-game winning streak with only one loss in the Big Ten. What do you see in the Spartans at this point in the season? Right now, I would say of all the five teams left on Iowa's schedule, Michigan State's best, right, better than Ohio State right now. Michigan State's playing right now the way most people thought they would because they were picked anywhere from second to fourth in most magazines and what have you. I think I had them third ahead of Iowa because of the advantage of playing at home. So it took a little while, but now Michigan State's starting to play, run, pass, very balanced, very good on defense, kind of similar to Iowa on defense. And D'Antonio, to me, is very similar to Ferentz. He's a real good coach, and I think he gets the most out of his players. So this is going to be a very tough game. There's a reason Iowa hasn't won there since 95. Michigan State's always got really good players, but now they've got a really good coach. And as you can see, this season did not go, did not unravel when they struggled there. D'Antonio kept the team together, and now they're reaping the benefits. Like Wisconsin, Michigan State seems to be another sort of mirror image team for Iowa. Yes. Traditional power football, run between the tackles, play action, hopefully have a, maybe a 60-40 run-pass ratio, and then good, solid, fundamentally sound, tough defense, and good special teams and what have you. So yeah, I would say Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Iowa are probably the three teams that are most similar in philosophy, and I think D'Antonio is probably the coach that's most similar to Ferentz in personality, and just the way people talk about him, just the respect factor and how he goes about his business. How much is this Iowa team at risk going into Saturday's game of getting distracted with all the increased attention, the rankings and the polls, and now the first BCS rankings? I don't think it's going to be a big factor. I mean, these guys now, they deal with Facebook and all this other stuff. There's so many other ways to get exposure and have people tell you how good you are. And I think Ferentz and the coaches are really good at keeping this team grounded. And they're still, I think one poll had them seventh or one, so they can almost use it as a... Uh, 
a disrespect factor. I mean, they're one of six teams undefeated, but they're still not ranked sixth in either wire service poll, I don't believe. The BCS is a different thing. They are ranked sixth there. So so I don't, I'm don't. i not worried about that. I think this team's got a good senior leadership. I mean, guys like A.J. Eads and Anger, I don't think they're going to let these players get full of themselves. Well, what do you expect to see in this game? What are your keys to the game? And are there any particular matchups you think the fans should focus on? Well, I think the keys, of course, are going to be turnovers and special teams. Which team can run the ball the best? Because I think which team runs the ball the best, that'll allow the play action to happen and what have you. And, um, and I think the quarterback play is going to be big, too. I mean, Michigan State's got the edge to where if one of their guys is struggling, Cousins seems to be kind of the, the guy now. But if he struggles or gets hurt, they can go to nickel, and it's not like it's a huge drop-off. But I think if Stanty plays the way he did Saturday and Iowa can run the ball, I think Iowa's going to be tough to beat because I think running the ball and avoiding turnovers are going to be the key. Do you have a score prediction? Right now, I'm saying maybe like 24-21 Iowa, but I mean, 23-21 Iowa, really close. I'm giving Iowa just the edge right now because there's no reason not to. I've seen them win seven games in a row. So, I mean, I, 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 they've at least earned my right. I don't have a gut feeling either way, so I may as well pick the team I've watched win seven games in a row. Any other thoughts? No, just keep it rolling. It's, fun. it's been fun so far. All right, thanks. Now at this spot in the first half, Iowa elected to go for it on fourth and 11. Now this may be a fake. We got everybody up there to block it. His career long is 47. This is a 48-yard attempt. That has the distance, and it's good. Daniel Murray, the Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week, makes it a 10-point game. And why you go for it is trust. The other thing is you know he has a distance, and what's it do? Instead of making it a one-possession ball game, true and through two-possession ball game. HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. Just a reminder that you can be part of the next show by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. Post game show is brought to you by Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. And Tolzien throwing into double coverage. It's intercepted again. Spave with his second pick of the game. And the third by Iowa. Iowa came in as the second in the second in the nation in takeaways and in interceptions. Spave 19. He vision all the way. That's just great coaching, Chris, and you can attest to that. Norm Parker and the defensive coaches keep their eye on the ball. They play a lot of zone, jam, get your eye on the ball and see where it's coming. Today's Hawkeyes Mike program is made possible in part by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs.
Iowa travels to East Lansing Saturday for a night game televised by the Big Ten Network. The Hawks are shooting for an 8-0 start to the season, which would be a first in the school's long football history. Michigan State is much improved after starting the season 1-3. The Spartans are now 3-1 in conference play, and a win on Saturday would put them right in the hunt for the Big Ten title. This is yet another crucial road game, two in a row for the Hawks, who control their own destiny in terms of the Big Ten title, and perhaps a very high finish in the BCS. This should also be another game where the two teams are pretty much mirror images of each other, both offensively and defensively. Spartan Stadium is a venue where Kirk Ferentz has never won a game as the Hawks head coach. In fact, Iowa hasn't won there since 1995. Overall, the series is fairly close, with Iowa leading 20-18 and 2. The Spartans won last year at East Lansing, but the Hawks have won 7 of the last 11 games. Kirk Ferentz also won his first Big Ten game, coaching against Michigan State in the 2000 season. The Spartans have defeated Michigan, Northwestern, and Illinois in conference play, while losing to Notre Dame and Central Michigan outside of the Big Ten. Iowa's defensive coordinator, Norm Parker, coached at Michigan State for 12 seasons when the Spartans had some of their best teams in school history. Iowa defensive backs coach Phil Parker played and coached in East Lansing. The Spartans are once again very tough on defense, with two of the best linebackers in the league, Greg Jones and Eric Gordon. They rank third in the Big Ten against the run, giving up only three yards per carry and 99 yards per game. Michigan State has shown vulnerability in pass defense. Opponents have completed 61.2% of their passes for an average of 235.9 yards per game and 15 touchdowns with only four interceptions. Earlier in the season, the Spartans were rotating quarterbacks but seem to have settled now on sophomore Kirk Cousins. He's a pocket passer with great accuracy when he has time to throw, and he's completed 63.5% of his passes with nine touchdowns and five interceptions. He leads the Big Ten in pass efficiency. Michigan State has struggled a bit in the running game after replacing tailback Javon Ringer and three starters on the offensive line. The Spartans also have an outstanding kicking game. Iowa will have to be tough from start to finish in this one. They will have to put pressure on Cousins, shut down the running game, and force him to throw into their secondary, which leads the nation in interceptions. Stanzi will have to have another complete game, and somehow Iowa needs to get its running game back on track after two off weeks. The Hawks have yet to play a complete game on offense. When that happens, this team could be exceptional. This should be another nail-biter, a close game, and Iowa win not only sets the all-time record for a season start, but sets up the Hawks for two consecutive home games before traveling to Ohio State. Hasn't been easy. It won't be easy. This team is getting better and better each week. They got better in the second half, and they had to get better because they weren't going to beat Wisconsin. They didn't get better. Stanzi is playing better. He's playing more consistent, and Wisconsin couldn't match him. A win at Penn State and a win today at Wisconsin. A win at home over Michigan. They're undefeated. They win the Heartland Trophy. Second time in four years they've won in Madison. 20 unanswered points as the Hawkeyes beat the Badgers 20 to 10. Our thanks again to ESPN for the game highlights this week. Another nice job of capturing the excitement of 2009 Iowa football. And thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. For Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well.
Really, a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.